Happy Easter, everyone. He is risen. Let's try it one more time. That was great, but I think we can do even better. He is risen. Amen. Uh, my name is Eric. I'm the pastor here at Mosaic. So good to see you all. Uh, yeah, like Josh said, I love Easter as well, and we're just glad that you are here. Uh, after service, we want to invite you just to stick around. We've got some donuts out there. They're individually packaged, so you can grab a donut, make a new friend if you want, or just huddle up around the table by yourself. That's totally okay as well. Uh, grab a cup of coffee on your way out as well. Uh, also, uh, we just hope that today is our gift to you, that uh, you'll find uh, your heart's encouraged, uh, that, that it was worth it, and that you just have a, a lovely time today on Easter. A little bit about us uh, here at Mosaic Church. We're here to help you uh, just learn what it means to, to love God, to serve others, and to make disciples. Uh, when Jesus asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's really what it all boils down to. That's what we're all about. That's why we sing. That's why we gather. That's why we open up God's word to, to learn how to, to love God. And then Jesus said the second commandment is like that. It's to love your neighbor as yourself. And so we just said, hey, we want to put an action verb behind that. And so we want to serve others. And so we want to empower you. Like Josh said, coming up here in a couple of weeks, we're going to go just be a block of blessing and, and serve others uh, because we don't exist just for ourselves, but we want to be like Jesus and serve others. And then Jesus gave what was called the Great Commission to his disciples, his followers, before he ascended into heaven said, you know, as you are going, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Lord and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded to you. And so what is a disciple? A disciple is, kind of comes from this Hebrew word, talmudim. It means a follower or uh, an apprentice. And, and I love that word apprentice. It's orienting our whole life around Jesus. And that's honestly what we're all about here at Mosaic, is just orienting our whole life around Jesus. We say, how do we do that? Well, we want to be with Jesus. We believe that Jesus really is alive. And we celebrate that on Easter, but every day, we want to know that we can actually be with Jesus. And so every day, we want to you know, just spend some time connecting with him. And then we want to become like Jesus. This is something that we're never going to reach this. It's not like we ever reach perfection. But we say, out of all the influences in our life, you know, out of ESPN and, and Fox News and MSN and Twitter and TikTok and whatever else you're going on. We have all these things clamoring for our attention. We want Jesus to be the dominant influence in our life. When we say, you know, how are we going to orient our life? It's around Jesus. And, and that means to do what Jesus did. Or more precisely, we said, if Jesus was your gender, if Jesus was your age, if Jesus was married to your spouse, going to your school, or working at your job, living in your city, how would Jesus act? What would Jesus do? And then that's how we want to live. Well, as we dive into uh, today's text, we're going to be in the book of John, as that set us up. I was just thinking about this last year. Last Easter, we weren't even in person, any of us. We were all online. And what a disruption that was. Uh, you know, maybe like me, you heard the first kind of talk of COVID sometime, you know, in the fall of 2019. And I remember a doctor friend of mine in January, February was like, hey, this thing's coming and it's serious. And by the end of this, we're all going to know someone who's been affected by this. And I was like, really? Wow. And, uh, you know, and then it kind of exploded just about a year ago. And now we're, we're in kind of maybe hopefully coming to the end of this season of pandemic as people are getting vaccinated and the, and the case counts are, are going down. But what a 
huge disruption to our lives. You know, the thing is, we've, we've all had these kind of disruptions. Uh, you know, every good story actually has a disruption. And that's what gives it conflict. That's what gives it a good story. Because if you just read someone, you know, woke up one day and, and life was normal and nothing ever happened, nothing ever disrupted them, that wouldn't be a very fun story to read or to watch. And so in every good story, there is a disruption. And I believe right now God is writing our story. Amen. And COVID-19 and, and everything that happened in the last year was not a surprise to God. Amen. And so God is writing our story. And so we want to just say, okay, God, what do you have for us next? Because every good story has some kind of disruption. You know, maybe you're a little orphan boy and you get this letter realizing that you're not just any old kid. You actually get to go to Hogwarts Academy, that you are a wizard. That's a disruption in his life. Or you find out that you are actually a Jedi Knight to be, and there's this disruption in your life, and this farm boy is actually going to save the galaxy, or what they call in screenwriting the meet cute event. Uh, if you notice this, like there's always this kind of cute meeting, serendipity, one of my favorite movies. You know, they bump into each other, going for the gloves. This is a disruption. It's going to disrupt their lives forever. A classic meet cute, uh, 101 Dalmatians. They literally are tied up together, uh, and but it changes their story. I don't know about you, again, but time and time again, I have plans on the way things are going to be, and then things disrupt it. You know, 17 years ago, I was in my little sister's wedding, and this cute bridesmaid disrupted my whole world. And I ended up marrying her and having four kids, and man, that disrupted everything. And Kristen thought she was dating someone who was going to be a touring musician, and then I ended up being a pastor, and that really disrupted her whole life because she told God, I never, ever, ever want to be a pastor's wife. Disruption to her life. And in already 2021, there's been so many disruptions for so many of you. You know, when someone texts me out of the blue, hey, our baby just died. You drop everything, and that's a disruption. You say, man, what can I do? During a Holy Week, when, when you're preparing for a message, and an 11-year-old boy who lost his dad in January says, can you take me to the batting cages so I can get ready for baseball tryouts on Monday? That's a disruption. And you say, Yes. Every disruption, I think, has an opportunity to get our eyes off ourselves and say, God, what, what are you trying to do in here? And it doesn't mean that every tragedy is authored by God, but God will use every tragedy for good. Well, before we dive into uh, God's word today in the book of John, would you just join me in a word of prayer? God, I thank you that you are here with us closer than the air we breathe. God, that it doesn't matter what we've done, what has been done to us, the mistakes we've made, the way we've been wronged. God, you, you welcome us with open arms. And so, Lord, we just want to be, as a church, a reflection of that, just saying that anyone and everyone is welcome here. And Jesus, I just pray right now that you'd give me the words to speak, that everyone in this room would, would hear from you the message they need to hear that we would 
leave this morning with our burdens a little lighter, perhaps healed from shame, from hurt, from grief, that we would know that you are here with us, that you are alive and well. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, the disciples, the, the apprentices of Jesus, these teenage boys most likely that Jesus called to say, hey, you can be like me. Come follow me. And so they oriented their whole life around Jesus to be his apprentices. Well, we've been walking our way through the book of John. And if you haven't been here for the series, no worries at all. It's an easy spot to jump into. But we've seen again and again, as we've been reading this first-hand account by probably the youngest disciple, John, one of his apprentices later on in life. John wrote down the story of Jesus. And, and we see again and again, Jesus disrupt. And he came in, and in John chapter 2, the first miracle, Jesus disrupts this wedding. This young couple, they run out of wine, and they kind of have egg on their face, and everything is, oh no, what's going to happen? And Jesus, he turns the water into wine. His very first miracle as a sign to say, hey, I've come to keep the party going. I've come to bring festival joy. That the end of our story in Revelation 21 says he will wipe away every tear. And we don't just ascend to some kind of weird heaven up in the clouds, but heaven comes to earth and the gates are always open and everyone is welcome and God will make his dwelling here on earth and everything will be perfected and it's going to be a giant feast and that is the end of the story. But Jesus knew to get to that ending, he had to endure the cross first. But he disrupts this wedding by, by saying, this is who I am. And in John 4, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, Jesus goes through Samaria to a, a place where good Jewish people would never go. And he meets this woman who has a sketchy past, but maybe also she's been wronged. Maybe she's been abused. We don't really know. But Jesus does what no one else would do, and he gives value and dignity and worth. And he disrupts the racism of their day and the sexism of their day. And because of that, this woman becomes an evangelist to tell her whole town, come see this man. Could he be the Messiah? And so many believed in him, and he disrupted her life forever and that whole town's life. And then in John 6, Jesus spends some time by himself on a mountain. He sends the disciples out ahead of him on the sea, and this storm hits. And then Jesus walks on water, and he disrupts that storm with the word, peace, be still. And we see Jesus disrupts storms. And just because we're in the middle of a storm doesn't mean we're not exactly where Jesus wants us to be. And sometimes he sends us into those storms. He allows those to happen so that he can be the bringer of peace and disrupt that that's going on. Then in John 8, we see he just is disrupting religious institutions as, as the people would gather for this festival as a reminder that God had led them out of slavery and bondage and that he had this pillar of flame that led them out. And so they had these festival where they'd light these giant lights. And in the middle of that, Jesus says, no, I am the light of the world. The Father and I are one. I am, I am. And people were like, what? And they want to kill him. And he's disrupting their religious institutions. And then in John 9, a man who had been born blind. Can you imagine what that's like? He'd never known 
the face of his mom. He'd never known sunshine or what trees look like or the blue sky. And because of that, he had to be a beggar. And Jesus spits on the ground and he rubs that mud in his eyes and the man washes it off and colors explode and he sees the sky for the first time and, and green grass and trees and he sees the face of Jesus and his life is transformed forever. And though he gets kicked out of the temple by the religious people, Jesus finds him and tells him who he is and this man puts his faith and trust and that man's life is disrupted forever as Jesus disrupts his spiritual and physical blindness. And my question this morning, are you willing to let Jesus disrupt your Easter morning? Easter is a wonderful holiday where we dress up. I convinced my wife to dress all our kids in white. We'll see if that was a wise decision or a bad decision by the end of church and how white those clothes are. I see my son, his white shoes are already gray and black, so probably not the best decision. But anyways, but this is a great time. We get together and a lot of times we'll eat ham or whatever you have for your food. But it can just be just another holiday. But I think Jesus wants to disrupt your Easter plans and just say, hey, will you take a minute to just listen to who I am today? Well, as we've been journeying through the book of John, we find ourselves now in John chapter 11. So you can follow along with your Bibles if you want. Otherwise, right here. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. John does this again and again. He, like, spoils the story because Pastor Josh is going to be talking about this next week. It's like, John, why are you telling this? You're going to tell us this next chapter. It's like, what, what are you doing? Anyways, uh, but she's very famous. Everyone knew this is the one who anointed the Lord's uh, feet and wiped his, his feet with her hair. But her brother Lazarus was ill. Martha's the older sister. Lazarus, maybe he's the middle or the younger brother. So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Now, one quick thing, this, this word love here uh, is the Greek word for friendship. This is your close friend. This is your buddy. You guys go watch March Madness and watch Gonzaga win, crazy game, or whatever it might be. This is your friend. This is the one you love. He's ill. And they, they don't even say, like, hey, can you come and heal him? Because they just know, Jesus, you're a good friend that you love. He's sick. We need you. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. But the word here actually is agape, which is an unconditional love. The word more like what a parent would have for his children. Ever, maybe if you're a parent, there's those times when you have to let your kids go through tough things. You know, you see your kid out playing with some other kids, and you ever had that moment where you can tell, like, maybe a kid's being mean to him, and you, like, want to run out and, like, pick up that other kid by the ankles, maybe just me, you know? Uh, you're like, what are you doing? But you're like, ah, they got to work it out themselves, you know, sometimes. Sometimes you do have to step in, but there's times we have to let our kids go through some tough things because we love them and we, we know what's best for them and we need them to grow. And that's kind of the idea here that Jesus loved unconditionally like a parent, Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Jesus heard his good friend is sick, but because he loved them, he stayed. This is disrupting their whole idea. They thought, surely, 
the one who can raise the, the lame man who can't walk and, and, and raise him up so that he can walk and the blind man who's been blind since birth and we've never heard of anyone regaining their sight, surely he can come heal our brothers, what these sisters are thinking. And Jesus is disrupting kind of just their whole thoughts and, and ideas on who Jesus is. And he stays behind two days longer. And he said to his disciples, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I'm glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Lazarus had already been dead, been in the tomb for four days. This is important because a lot of times they believe the spirit kind of hovered around for three days. But after four days, like you're not mostly dead, you're dead, 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 dead. Because your body starts to fall apart and it starts to smell. So they would have these kind of like decomposition chambers, like a rock built in there, and they'd put the bodies in there and then roll a stone so that. The body could decay and no one could smell it. Then they'd roll the stone back away and collect the bones and put them in boxes and then put it back into the tomb. And that's kind of the process. And so he's locked up. They're just kind of waiting for him to fully decay. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. So Martha comes out to to meet with Jesus. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You said anything like that to Jesus? Jesus, if only you could have done this. Just the last couple weeks, man, I've, I've had these same conversations. I, I don't, Jesus, what is going on? Why aren't you healing? Why aren't you restoring? I, I, I know you can do this. So I don't get it. But then it's almost like Martha catches herself. But, but even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know he's going to rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Some Jews believed in a resurrection. Some didn't. Martha, as a follower of Jesus, she did believe. Resurrection's coming. And she's like, yeah, I know, my brother. I'm going to see him again. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, the one we've been waiting, the Son of God who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. Now, just a quick note. The fact that Martha and Mary call him teacher, and then in other stories we see that Mary sitting at Jesus' feet. Man, this is highly subversive of Jesus. This means he's been teaching them, right? He's the teacher. He's been teaching them. In this culture, rabbis only taught boys, we see, man, the Bible is the ultimate 
ancient document that gives both dignity and worth to men and women. So anytime you hear someone like ripping on the Bible that it's misogynistic or, uh, you know, whatever it might be, no, 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 no. <laughs> like we see again and again through the writings of Paul and Jesus, man, they are giving dignity and worth to both men and women. And here's Jesus. He's teaching Mary and her sister Martha, which was unheard of. But Martha goes and tells Mary, hey, the teacher, he's calling for you. She's at home, and so she goes. And When she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but he was still in the place where Martha had met him. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, a little different than her big sister, but she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Same words as Martha. A little different posture. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews, the mourners who had come with her, had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. As I was diving into this phrase this week, uh, sounds a little weird, but it comes from this idea uh, of a horse snorting. Okay, sounds a little weird, right? But um, if you hear like a, a horse kind of do that snort, the idea is Jesus kind of has this involuntary gasp. Ever had that? Like, like he's so shocked like his, at his emotions that he can't help but deep, be deeply moved in his spirit. He, he kind of let out this almost snort this, this gasp at, at the hurt and the pain of Mary. So even though he knows what's going to happen, even though he knows he's the resurrection of life, even though he knows this is for the good of his disciples and Mary and, and Martha, it still hurts to see the ones he loved in such pain. He was greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? Where did you lose hope? Show me what you buried. I think so many times that's what Jesus is asking us. What's that dream? What's that, that hope you had that you buried? Show me that thing. And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. It's not like tears of sobbing. It's just like tears on his, on his cheeks, staining his beard. One of the things I love about Jesus is he knows what we need. He knows we're all different. He's the good shepherd. He knows his sheep. And I love Martha. Sweet Martha, the oldest, probably an Enneagram one. And Jesus speaks truth to her. That's what she needed in that moment. I am the resurrection and the life. And sweet Mary, she's probably an Enneagram 4. She's a romantic. She's feeling her emotions, and she falls at Jesus' feet, and she's weeping, and Jesus lets out this gasp. And what does Jesus do? Does he chide her or Martha? No, neither one. But Jesus just weeps with her. I love that. He doesn't say either one was wrong. He doesn't say, you know, uh, correct them. But he speaks truth. And then he just weeps with them. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. And this idea here is a little bit of anger behind it. When you, you go to the, the language, 
the Bible's written in the Greek there. He's not angry at Mary and Martha. He's angry at death. He's angry at sin. He's angry at his enemy. And he's like, all right, we're we're doing a showdown here. (laughs) And he came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And Jesus says to us, like, show me that thing that's dead. But what is that hard thing that, that is in the way of me coming to heal that thing? Are there calluses? Are there hurts? And Jesus says, show me that thing, and, and we need to remove that so that I can get in there and do that healing. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there's going to be an odor. He's going to stink. His body's falling apart, for he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Well, this means he probably was already praying on his way there. And God had already, his father, answered his prayer. And he knew the outcome. But now in front of everyone, he says, Father, you've already heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And I love this. An old preacher, he said, you know, it's a good thing he said Lazarus because otherwise every dead person would have came out of the grave because that is the resurrection power of Jesus. And the man who had died came out and his hands and his feet were bound with linen strips like a, like a mummy and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. And I just picture how awkward that was for Lazarus as he's laying on this tomb and all of a sudden life comes into his body and breath and perhaps even like uh, at the end of, uh, you know, Avengers Endgame when they get put back together, like, you know, the end of the blip. And there, Lazarus, he's put back and he's perfect, but he's all bound up. And so he's got to be hopping there to meet Jesus. He's like, I'm coming, Jesus, you know. He's hopping out and he's all bound up. And I picture Jesus that his first impulse was probably to run to his dear friend and embrace him. His friend's alive, but what does he say? He says, you guys, unbind him and let him go. I think there's so much power in there that Jesus tells everyone else, the crowd there, they rolled the stone away. They removed that hard thing that allowed Jesus to bring the healing. And then they were the ones to unbind him. And that is what the church, that is what followers, apprentices of Jesus, we are to do. To those who have been healed by Jesus, to unbind them. To, to help them find freedom through Jesus. Jesus doesn't just bring resurrection and life. He is the resurrection and the life. Today on Easter, we celebrate that Jesus destroyed the powers of hell and death once and for all. He raised Lazarus to life, and then later, we see you know, that the Pharisees are so freaked out about this that they want to kill him because everyone started to follow Jesus because he had raised a dead person to life. And it says they even wanted to kill Lazarus because he's this, this sign of, of who Jesus is. And so they do this sham trial at night and, and they falsely accuse him. 
And Jesus carries his cross and he dies, but then he rolls, he rises again on the third day and the stone is rolled away because he doesn't just bring resurrection life. He is the resurrection and the life. And whatever it is that you and I have right now that's, that's hard, that's, that's dead, that's dying, or we've lost hope, Jesus says, I can bring resurrection. I can bring life to whatever that is. That's who Jesus is. And today on Easter, I love what Jesus does. I love that Jesus brings value and dignity to wor- and worth to sex workers and to those who are of the wrong race and color and religious people and religious outsiders. And Jesus brings healing. And Jesus brings hope. But more than that, I want to know who he is. Amen? I don't want to just know about Jesus. I want to know Jesus. And that is what changed the disciples' lives They were scared, they were timid, and then they saw Jesus rise again. And that changed everything forever. And what happened? Jesus, he ascends to the Father, and they they wait in Jerusalem 10 days after Jesus ascends, and they get filled with the Holy Spirit, and they preach with boldness. And, and then when there's a pandemic, they don't just stay at home. They, they go out and, and they, they bring healing. They take in orphans with them. And, and, and they, they care for the sick, and they, and they, they feed the hungry, and they, and they clothe the naked, and they visit the prisoners in prison. And they, they risk death. And, and all his early followers, other than John, who wrote this, died for following Jesus because they saw Jesus with their own eyes rise again. Why would they die for a lie? We have thousands and thousands of copies of these ancient uh, 2,000-year-old gospel story of Jesus. They are accurate. They really did write this down just 30 years or so after Jesus died. We can trust these accounts. These are eyewitness accounts of people who were really there. John really was there. He saw Lazarus rise from the grave. He saw Jesus die on the cross. He's the only one who stayed when all the other men ran away. It was just a few women and John who was there at the foot of the cross. And then John saw him rise again and they saw the holes in his hand and the, and the feet, the, the holes in his feet. And they knew that he really did die, but he really did rise again. And they're willing to die for that. Why would you die for a lie? They would not. And that is why I can put my faith and trust in Jesus and Jesus' own younger brothers. They thought he was crazy until they saw their big brother rise from the dead. And when that happens, you listen to what they have to say. And James, his younger brother, became the leader of the early church. Why would you worship your big brother as God if he wasn't really God? That is why I have trust. That is why I believe this really happened. This isn't just a nice story. Amen? And so, are you willing to let Jesus disrupt your Easter today? Maybe, maybe you've had doubts and you've just wondered Is the story real? Can I trust it? I hope you can trust it. And if you have doubts, then meet with me or someone and look into even just the story. You know, when was this book written and, and, you know, and who wrote it down and how accurate are these accounts and can we trust it? And if we, if we can trust it, then we can trust what it says that Jesus really is the resurrection and the life. And Jesus He invites each and every one of us to find new life through him. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I'd like the band to come up.
Right now, Jesus offers you the opportunity to find new life through him. And maybe you've never crossed that line of faith to put your hope and trust in Jesus. Maybe you've just had some doubts and you weren't sure, but today you're feeling some, something tug in your heart and you're like, what is that? And that's Jesus saying, come, take that last step and put your hope and trust in me and know that I am the resurrection, the life, and I'm the one who will sit with you and I will weep and I will cry and I'll also encourage you with truth, but I'm going to be with you. If you have not made that decision, you can cross that line of faith by putting your hope and trust in Jesus by simply just saying this very simple prayer. Jesus, I give you my life. Just say, Jesus, I give you my life. It's not the whole conversation you have to have with God, but it's a start. It's putting that first step forward to say, Jesus, I give you my life. I trust in you. I believe that you are the son of God, that you died and you rose again. I don't have all the answers, but I want to follow you. I want to be your apprentice. And right now, I also know there are people in this room. There's some hopes and dreams that you have buried long ago. Maybe it's the reconciliation of a relationship. Maybe it's a business idea that, that flamed out and died. Maybe it's just a relationship with a parent or a child and you said, there's no way that could ever be, that could ever happen. Perhaps this morning Jesus is saying to you, trust me that I am the resurrection of life and I want to breathe life into those dreams, those hopes that you had. And I just want to invite you right now just to pray. Just very simple. Jesus, I trust you. Just Jesus, I trust you. For me personally, it helps sometimes to, that we're, we are a body, a mind, and a soul. And so I'll just put my hands out and that thing that I've been carrying, that hard thing, I'll picture it like it's in my hands. And I'll say, Jesus, I trust you. And now I, I'm giving it over to you. I'm not going to carry it anymore. I'm going to trust that you love me and you're going to carry this. And then maybe this morning, your heart is just heavy. The last year and a half have been really hard. Loss and pain and hurt. And so many relationships broken. I just want to ask you, who did you lose this year? Maybe not to death, but maybe there's a broken relationship because of politics, because of you saw things differently with racial issues or how to handle COVID or whatever it might be. And I grieve the loss of some friendships from this last year. But Jesus... He sits with us in the hurt and the pain and he, he cries those tears of healing with us. And so right now, maybe just you want to just picture that, that relationship, that, that thing, that person that you've lost. Maybe they have died or maybe it's just you no longer have that friendship with. And you want to just picture Jesus 
crouch down next to you as, as the tears are on your eyes and you look up and you see the tears shining in his eyes as well. And right now, Jesus wants to give you a hug and wrap you in his arms. And I just pray right now over each and every one of us who are just experiencing that hurt, that we would know that Jesus is for us, that he loves us and, and he hurts with us as we grieve those losses, the pain of that. So right now, Jesus, we, we just, as we close our service, we proclaim that we believe that you are the resurrection and the life. And for those of us who put our faith and trust in you, that life can start here and now. And though we may die, we will be resurrected one day with you. And those that we have lost, they will be resurrected to be with you. So Jesus, we trust you. We love you. And we're just, we're just in awe of your compassion and your love your unconditional great love for us. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me as we close our service? We're going to go out of here singing one last worship song. Uh, and uh, so let's, let's sing this song together. Uh, it's also the time when we're going to get to uh, receive our offering. You can do that online on our website, mamasdagchurch.com. We also have a little offering box back on the resource table. You can drop it check in there or cash. We just want to say thank you for those who give to Mosaic. It allows us to uh, be a ministry and to be supported. And we're just, we're so appreciative of that. Uh, again, we'll sing this last song and then you can go out and grab a donut on your way out. Uh, take some family pictures, whatever you want to do. Uh, but happy Easter. Let's sing this song together. <laughs>